All right, so we are live now. Welcome everybody um, to MRCC Around the Roots. And as part of our virtual 5K fundraiser, Restore Our Communities, today we're here with MCR Labs, Mike Esposito. Um, did I say your name right, Mike? Your last yeah, pretty good, yep. Awesome. So we're just going to give you guys like a few minutes. Um, we just want to let everybody to come on in and we'll be getting started. So just give us a, like another minute or two um, and we'll be getting started on today's um, presentation. But I hope you guys are live because we're so excited to have you and to be with you guys today. Hey, we're getting some comments. Hey, Kalim, how are you today? You guys can drop some comments in the chat and talk with us as we're waiting. And I'll, I'll definitely chat with you guys. Um, Mike, you're welcome to jump in too, if you want to. Um, yeah, drop drop a comment and let us know, like, um, tell us what strain you're smoking today. How about that? Um, so I had homegrown and um, I was gifted from this weekend from a bike ride. Um, and of course, I smoked all of it completely. <laughs> <laughs> so it was awesome, you guys. Homegrown is always amazing. Like, I'm always blown away. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to get some more. So I'm going to be hitting up my home growers. Um, let me let and let us know if you're not what strain you're growing. How about that? What kind of strains you guys are grow growing? Um, ooh, Tropic OG. Are you familiar with that one, Mike? I'm not. You know, the strains are coming out every other day. There's new strains. There is um, new strains all the time. Yeah. When I was growing, it was all about cookies. Um, I just grow whatever cuts I can get for my buddies at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. Having the, the cuts is is critical. Yes. Um, let me see. I'm going to look this up. OG, oh, we're about to get started in another minute. Um, I'm just kind of curious about this strain. Um. Indica dominant. Mm, sounds nice. Okay, I have to. I have to do a little bit more research on that one. I just did a quick Hawaiian genetics. Oh, we're gonna have to talk. Definitely, clean. We could be going on and on about these genetics and the strains. Um, definitely down to do a genetics um, talk. But I do want to get into today's um, session because I'm really happy to have Mike with us today um, and for the presentation that we're going to do. Um, Mike um, works at MCR Labs and is a scientist, um, really amazing. And I just want to ask you a few questions, Mike, so our audience can get to know you a bit. Sure. Um, can you um, explain to us like how you got into cannabis and what and the science of cannabis like what motivated you to explore the science like were you always into science or and this just happened to be a happy marriage or like how did this whole arrangement come so that you're working at MCR labs as a scientist like this is you know a lot of people are really curious how do you become a scientist in cannabis so um, if you can share with us like how this happened for you Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I got interested in cannabis first when I when I smoked it. Um, <laughs> I really liked that a lot. And then um, growing up, my mom was always a big time gardener. So I was always out there helping her out. Um, I really loved hiking through the woods, looking at the plants out there. Um, so I was getting out of high school and I thought, hey, maybe I should do something with plants. Um, I went to UMass Amherst, the plant, soil and insect bio major there. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, you know, if, if whatever I want to do here fails, I can just grow cannabis. Um, everybody wants cannabis all the time. I want cannabis all the time. Um, so, you know, I did that whole thing, did the undergrad, um, and I was going to go into the sciences there. I was actually about to start a PhD in plant molecular bio. Um, the lab I was working at was doing some really cool stuff with like engineered rice that you could grow in, in really contaminated areas. Um, I had a lot of like Southeast Asian lab mates in there and they, they're from uh, Bangladesh, India, where you're seeing a lot of like contaminated groundwater. Um, so kind of just along those routes, I was really interested in plants. Um, right when I was about to start that PhD, things started turning around in Massachusetts for legality. I said, you know, I've been in school for a while now. I like working with my hands. I'd like to grow cannabis for a while. Um, so I got on board there. I want to say one of the first three dispensaries to open. Um, you know, that was awesome. I learned a lot. 
Um, I hadn't really grown cannabis prior to that. So my background is in growing like begonias and, and chrysanthemums and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it turns out they're really similar. Um, so that went great. Um, I ended up going to a different dispensary not that long after as another grower. Um, and towards the end of that time, we had set up our own tissue culture lab in there. Um, we were really excited to do that. I was able to do stuff I was doing back at UMass, and it, it was awesome. And then um, the state said, hey, we, we really don't think that we're going to allow tissue culture in the, the cannabis industry. Mm. Right. So at that point, I was back, uh, you know, in the, in the lab bench working under the hoods and stuff. So I kind of got, got a taste for the science again. And um, at that point, I said, hey, I should apply at MCR. Um, they were looking for a microbiologist, and that's how I got where I'm at today. Nice, nice. So that was a, a full journey for you. Oh, yeah. um, and and how do you find how do you find being a scientist in the cannabis world? Like what has this experience been like so far for you? It's been awesome. You know, you meet people from all over the country, all over the world. Um, they're just as nerdy as you are and they also like to smoke like you do, which is really unique. Um, you know, when I was in school, I, I was kind of bashful about it. I remember specifically telling one of my one of my best friends at the point. He was like, hey, do you, do you smoke weed? And I was like, yeah, but don't tell anybody about it. Um, so now, now being able to be open about it, talk mm -hmm. to people who are both huge science nerds and uh, cannabis enthusiasts is it's really great. <laughs> I think that's one, like, one of the biggest stigmas that against cannabis, right, is that that's used like in the propaganda that smoking weed is going to make you dumb. <laughs> and how a lot of nerds like hide their cannabis consumption because of the stigma. And so they, 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 we're, we're smart, right? Like we're fully smart. And there's this stigma that's stronger than whatever degrees we present, whatever academia we have behind us, whatever, you know, accomplish it, accomplishments we've made um, in academia or intellectual, you know, world, wherever in our, in our field. Um, it doesn't like, you know, it, it doesn't, really do justice against those decades of harm of propaganda. Um, so mm -hmm. There's a lot of us still in the closet, I feel like, um, us nerds, like in the closet with our cannabis love. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming out and pursuing yeah. the dream. <laughs> of course, yeah. um, so today, you guys, um, if you actually um, want to screen present now, um, that would be dope. Um, Mike's going to do a presentation, you guys. Um, today and I'm actually gonna please drop in the comments any questions um, and we will be asking questions towards the end um, and I will be asking questions as Mike goes along because I feel like Mike has like is around this information all the time and there's a lot of us that have questions the information can be presented too fast or it hasn't we haven't had enough time to absorb all the the knowledge that's being presented towards us in asking questions in a impactful way or in a way that can help create more like, oh, that's why this is being presented towards us. So I'm more gonna be approaching questions from like a newbie perspective um, for anybody in our audience that's you know more of a newbie, new to growing, um, not really sure. Or if you're already like, I'm a pro grower, um, why would I need um, testing or do I even need testing? Like what, what is this all about? And asking questions from that perspective. I think if you have any sort of questions, regardless, um, drop them in the chat and they'll immediately pop up for us. And we're more than happy uh, to answer any questions today. So I'm just gonna let Mike take it away from us today. Thank you, Mike. All right, sounds good. All right, thank you everybody for joining us today. I'm Mike Esposito. I'm the lead microbiologist over at MCI Labs over in Framingham. Um, and today we're going to go over the tests we offer and we're going to provide some examples where you might want to use them in your own home grow. And we'll also provide some uh, real basic tips for home growers who may just be starting out or maybe, um, you know, uh, seasoned veterans. All right. So first we will talk about the tests that we offer at MCR Labs. And these are just the general tests you'd see at pretty much any testing lab across the state at this point. So the first test that we offer and what's usually the most interesting to home growers are the potency profiles. And these are for two major groups of secondary metabolites or pretty much just compounds that the cannabis plant can produce. And those are your cannabinoids and your terpenes. Um, so these are kind of the 
compounds that are responsible for giving your cannabis different traits, um, whether that's a medical trait, a psychedelic trait, etc. Um, and while <clears throat> you might see really high counts of something like a THC, um, if you only have a plant that's just THC, there's no terpenes or other cannabinoids in there, it's going to have a really distinct and different effect from a plant that would have the same amount of terpenes, uh, or the same amount of THC, um, along with other various terpenes. Uh, that's what they call the entourage effect. And that's kind of the way all these compounds interact together to give you a really unique um, unique effect from strain, kind of what makes strains different from each other. So oh wait, can you just go back? So uh, the entourage effect, that is that basically like the fancy word for full spectrum? Yeah, definitely. Yep. I've seen um, full spectrum before. So is entourage like another effect, the entourage effect, another way of when you see, if you see a label that says full spectrum, they're, they're talking about the, the entourage effect. Exactly. Yep. So you see full spectrum. These are people that are trying to make sure they preserve that terpene compound um, profile in there. Um, a lot of the extraction techniques, you might just be pulling out something like an isolate, um, which, you know, some people love that. It's not for everybody. But exactly like you're saying, that's full spectrum. You're really trying to tap into that entourage effect. And can you just go into just a little bit like I've seen terpenes before and that being talked about, but I haven't seen anything like really stressed about canna cannabinoids. Um, can you just say a little bit about the difference between those two? Like why, why would people care about either one of those um, yeah. in their plant? Sure. Um, so the cannabinoids we're talking about, um, the primary ones are THC and CBD. Um, THC is more known for those more psychedelic type effects, um, maybe something a little more recreational, you want to feel a little, a little silly, versus CBD, which is um, known to not really have any psychedelic effects, um, could be something that's more um, diagnostic to like a pain treatment. If you have arthritis, um, I know when I have like sciatic nerve pain, I'm really searching for CBD to help that out. Um, and like we were talking about before with that entourage effect, um, THC and CBD interact in some kind of interesting ways. I know personally, if I, if I take a dab that's really high THC, if I start to feel nervous or anxious, I can hit some CBD um, and that'll kind of counterbalance that effect and bring me, bring me back to a more kind of common centered um, state of mind. So, and, and there's other ones, right? Cause there's like um, CBG and like, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole series ones, right? Like there's like THC and CBD are like the most popular ones, but there's way more. And a lot of, a lot of these other ones are being found to have um, even like, that's where the health benefits are. Right. And like a lot of consumers don't, don't realize that, that they're finding like all these other ones um, playing a role and being like anti-cancer and stuff, but really by them all working together, like isolating them doesn't work. You need them all to work, to work together for the entourage effect, which produces like these anti-cancer and other, other um, things being found in studies. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, honestly, they're still discovering new cannabinoids, I think one of the ones that just was discovered recently was called like THCD or something like that. And um, it's like mm -hmm. a way more potent form of the, the normal Delta 9 THC. Um, but yeah, exactly like you're saying, you, you get these at different levels and different combinations with each other and you're going to get pronounced different effects. Um, that really lets you kind of tailor in what you're trying to get out of your experience with cannabis. The nerd in me is totally geeked out. Okay, keep going, Mike. <laughs> All right. So those are our um, chemical potency tests. And then aside from that, we also offer a lot of safety screens. Um, now, these screens are mandated by the CCC in Massachusetts for any product that's going to be sent out to the consumer. Um, but despite just the regulated cannabis having these, a lot of these screens are also really important for you as a home grower. Um, and they can tell you a lot about your cannabis and even about your environment. Um, so the safety screens that we offer are heavy metals. That's going to be things like your lead, arsenic, cadmium, or mercury. Um, pesticides. I don't know that list off the top of my head. That's uh, the chemists know those ones. But um, those are pretty much things that we would commonly see used in a cannabis grow. Um, you really don't want to take them in. Um, and if they're present in your grow operation, that could either mean you have some weird contamination or maybe a product you're using isn't exactly what you think it is. Um, next, we have mycotoxins, and these are the toxins that are produced 
specifically by fungal growth. Um, that's going to be your molds, um, yeast, etc. Um, next is residual solvents. And this mostly just applies to your concentrates and your extracts. Um, this is going to be anything that's left behind during the purge process when you're making these. If you're doing a solvent-based extract versus mm -hmm. something that's uh, non-solvent-based, like a nice, um, nice rosin squish. Um, and then lastly, we have microbiological testing, which is going to pick up um, either quality indicator organisms or potentially very pathogenic organisms. Um, but we'll get into that in a little more detail down the line. And then lastly, we offer the vitamin E acetate screen. I know you guys are probably all familiar with that vape ban that happened a little while back. Um, yeah. Yes. So we, we really want to be able to detect that if it's present. Okay. Nice. Okay. And that's, that's a nice full list so that you can be able to see what's and what's all, and all of these things impact the quality. Right. And so mm -hmm. like um, everything that's when you go to purchase from a dispensary, it should go through like this full panel typically, right? Our, our dispensary, like all the weed from there goes through a full testing panel. Yes, yep, exactly. Okay. Um, but as we've learned, it doesn't mean that it's safe, you guys, because moldy weed has been found in our dispensary. So I could talk about that all day. <laughs> okay, yeah, we could get into it, Mike. I am here for it. I am here for it. So please know people that um, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe. So we're here talking about safety um, and that should be stressed as consumer rights. We should be consuming things that are safe and things make it on the shelf as in every other industry. Cannabis is not exempt. Um, you know, there's cannabis that lands on the shelf that is not safe. Um, so yeah. And, and the, the conditions on which they're growing in does matter. Um, and uh, our cultivating centers should be able to the first to tell you <laughs> as they have failed <laughs> a couple of times in providing, um, you know, con products that meets consumer safety standards. Never mind amazing homegrown standards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's kind of a broad overview of the screens. Um, and now we can kind of talk a little bit about what each of those tests are specifically um, and how they might be useful to you as a home grower or why you might want to have them done on, on product that you purchase from a home grower, et cetera. All right, um, so we'll start with the cannabinoids. These um, we kind of talked about a little earlier, but aside from knowing what's in your end product, you can actually get some really inter interesting information about when you're pulling your plants down um, based off of the results you get. Um, so certain compounds like THCA or uh, CBDA um, are actually made from other different cannabinoids that are broken down through more metabolic pathways. Um, so the precursor or the compound that THCA and CBDA are made out of is CBGA. Um, so a lot of the times when a grower is deciding when they're going to harvest their crop, um, it is very much opinion based. There's no real, um, hey, this is, you know, this is set in stone when you should chop it down. Um, but people will typically look very closely at the tips of their glandular trichomes. Mm -hmm. um, earlier on in growth, those are going to be really clear, um, pretty much totally translucent. And as your cannabis matures, those are going to get kind of milky and white. And then later on, they'll start to take on more of like an amber yellowish coloration. Um, so if you are looking for more of like a buzzy um, THC heavy high, you might want to harvest a little earlier when your trichomes are looking kind of milky white versus later on when they're a little bit more yellowed out. Uh, but if your eyes aren't really good, um, you can also kind of get this information based on your cannabinoid screen. Um, so pretty much if you take your plants down and you see there's a really high amount of CBGA in there and there's a lot less THCA or CBDA than you would expect, you might be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm chopping this a little bit early. I should let the plant go a little bit longer to, to kind of finish converting that. Or, you know, if you're looking for CBGA for a specific medical purpose, you can say, hey, I need to pull these a little faster. All the CBGA I'm looking for is uh, getting broken down into these other compounds. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot of information. <laughs> Sorry if that was a bit much. But yeah. Hopefully our, our home growers, you know, they're, they're definitely getting it, you know, on the spot. Um, and to, to know um, when to pull, basically, and, and why, w when you're growing, what plant you're growing, whatever you're growing, what are you looking for? I think that's probably what you should start with, right? Is that as you're growing, to be thinking about what are you looking for out of the flower? 
um, mm -hmm. and what you want to, it to achieve. And then you'll be able to determine um, this part of the process. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's it's really subjective for everybody. Everybody likes it a little bit different. So nice. Yeah. So that's our, our CN or our cannabinoid um, analysis there. Um, and after that, we have terpene analysis, which is a really similar test, but rather than looking for THC, CBD, et cetera, um, we're looking at some of the really commonly found terpenes. Um, and these are the compounds on your cannabis that are going to give it a really unique aroma. Um, you can see this table to the left we have is a lot of the really, really common and popular terpenes um, and a description of their aroma. And then also you can see on that table, there's, there's some specific potential benefits listed. Um, so when we talked about that entourage effect earlier, um, we're talking about what terpenes are present and in what ratios and um, how you can really kind of dial in the experience you want to have based on that. And then, you know, like we said, also, it's really subjective, so it's not going to hit everybody the same way, but these are some really broad, um, broad general guidelines you can look for. Um, now, aside from the medicinal or recreational benefit you get from your terpenes, um, kind of tracking these trends can also let you know how you're doing with your procedure of growing and also your post-harvest. Um, and post-harvest, we consider to be pretty much anything from the point that you chop to the point that you are, um, you know, ingesting or combusting your material. Um, <clears throat> so if you see your plants typically have a much higher terpene percentage, um, you're getting kind of confused, why are my terpenes getting lower and lower? That can sort of dial you in and let you know, oh, maybe I should be looking at something in the way I'm growing. Or potentially, maybe I should change the way I'm drying and curing my, my harvest. Maybe I'm going a little too cold, a little too dry, and these compounds are just getting stripped off the cannabis um, much faster than we'd like them to. I just I was just geeking out for a second. You was like um, com consuming or combusting. And I was like, Mike, do you mean lighting that sucker on fire? Like smoking one? <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> I do, yeah. You went straight, straight, uh, straight nerd on me there. Um, I was just like, yeah, that, that's, I think, I believe that's what he's talking about right now. <laughs> yep. 100%. Yep. Just talking about uh, smoking it down for sure. Yeah. I was just reading this and I just think it's really interesting how the plant as it, you know, whether it's happy or whether it's stressed will impact the plant. And I tell people all the time, like a happy plant produces a happy high. If you're not having a great high, your plant did not live a great life. You know, abusing the plant will create an abused high. Like you can have a depressed high from a depressed plant. So these are living organisms. We should be treating them with the highest respect because the energy you give is the energy you shall receive. So just treating it as a basic like commodity um, really, really just like abuses the plant. And in turn, you gonna have an abused high. Like it's not even that great of a high as as when the plants are grown um, in a healthy and happy way. Do you, what do you think, Mike? Oh, one hundred percent. You know, I've I've smoked that cannabis. That's you know, oh great, it's over thirty percent THC, but there's no terpenes. I smoke that. I just get scared personally. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, and yeah. the high doesn't even like last the same way. It doesn't have like it's like you get that high and then it's gone. Like it's, it's just like, I've noticed a difference, at least for me and my body, like those, those type of plants, like, yeah, you achieve it, but then they like, they don't, they're not sustainable. Your, my body just doesn't, they don't stay with my body the same way as like a happy plant, a happy plant, a happy high, that high lasts for a long, long time. Like, and I consume less, like it, it, it's, it's just a much better high. One hundred percent. You know that and that pulls back to the full spectrum extracts, like you were talking about before. Um, yeah. You know, I feel it's different if I'm if I'm hitting an isolate on a dab rig versus like a nice rosin. Um, but yeah, no terpenes are are critical in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Um, so now that we're done talking about the fun assays, we're going to talk about the ones that are going to kind of keep you safe and kind of let you know about your environment, um, both in the context as a grower and as somebody who might be living in a specific environment. Um, so the first safety screen we'll talk about is the heavy metal screen. Um, and these are compounds that are known to be really toxic to humans over time. Uh, we've seen it, we know, we have a really rich history of studying lead poisoning. I mean, we see down in Flint, Michigan, the effects that has on a developing body. Um, and essentially, like we know, these, these aren't things you want to be taking in on a regular basis. 
Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of different ways that these compounds can make it into your grow. Um, one of the really common ways that this could happen would be if you're growing in an older house, uh, maybe you're growing alongside an old painted wall. Um, a lot of uh, pretty heavy lead-based paints used to be used, and these are things that are going to land in your soil, potentially get into your groundwater, or, or otherwise contaminate. Um, you can see in this image to the right, um, what we have here is some old lead paint that has taken on an effect that's known as alligatoring. Um, so if you see this anywhere near your grow, you might want to watch out for lead getting in into your grow in that way. Um, and I know like for um, for lead and paint, this was done um, for a long period of time. So like house, housing that was paint done in the 70s, 80s, like you still have lead paint on old on old housing. And if it's in your neighborhood, it blows into the air. So it's not even just like your next door neighbor. You should be looking at who's ever within probably what, like a six a six block radius, right? For, for especially in the in the if you live in a city in a congested area, um, oh. looking at a, at least a six block radius um, oh. for lead, and and also um, lead. I don't know if you guys know, but like um, one huge huge thing that was discovered about lead, like gas was deleted, right? But like up and through the seventies, I believe gas had lead in it. Um, and they started, there was a direct correlation. Um, they credited it towards something else, but there was a there's a direct correlation between lead um, and violence, right? Like lead and violence, um, lead and ADHD, lead and violence, and, and a lot of other things. There's a lot of correlation with um, lead. And so it's really important, I think, um, as we're growing our plants to pay attention to any lead or heavy metals that it can be absorbed and because all of this can be impacting our health um, and disorders and um, all the other ways. So the plant is 100% safe. The soil and the environment, <laughs> no, not so much, not so mm -hmm. much. So yep. I yep. think we gotta be, and here in Massachusetts, like we have such old land, old housing. There's always like a stress for housing preservation. Like they're always talking about preserving something, right? From the pipes to the framework and the details and stuff like that. And I just feel like there's so much contamination and people aren't aware of it or they've normalized it because it's part of Massachusetts culture to protect its colonial roots, you know? And um, now we're living around and, and lead neighborhoods and, and stuff. And people are still, I still see housing, like people are still going for deletting their housing. It's still a process that's still occurring for our homeowners across the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, 100%. You know, Massachusetts, we have a lot of these um, really old apple orchards too. Um, mm. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit further down as well, but a lot of the old like agricultural practices they were doing a hundred plus years ago, like we look at them now, it's extremely reckless. Um, they would literally spray the apple trees with lead arsenate. <laughs> so, you know, if you're, if you're growing your cannabis anywhere near an old apple orchard, um, you really might want to look at your material to kind of get an idea of what, what's getting into your soil there. So it's not like farming has a history of like, like practicing like healthy grow grow methods right like this is this is we're we're dealing with um a, a country whose grow methods um are not produced you know putting the the consumer first putting community first it's it's always been which we know based upon the foundation of this country right that this is a very capitalistic profit driven country um, and it will use any human being at an at an expense for the profit. Um, so yeah, definitely make sure you know um, the environment in which you're growing in um, and the metals around you. If not for the plant, then for yourself, please. Um, and usually, um, if your water, you can get tested um, through your city's local water facilities. Um, they frequently offer that for free as well as like the testing kits for that. So you can get that, your water tested um, and to check that out and to go through your, through your local municipality, um, through their website and find out where the water um, is being managed through and to, and to contact them 
and they'll offer they offer that typically for free um, for for wherever you're renting or residing at in Massachusetts. Definitely. All right. So next, we'll talk a little bit about pesticides. Um, like we just talked about back in the old day, they love to spray lead arsenate on anything. Um, in the current day, they're still doing some stuff that's a little bit reckless. Um, and as a cannabis grower, a home grower, if you're growing outdoors, you are 100% exposed to whatever it is that your neighbors are doing. Um, if that is something like crop dusting, like you can see in this image to the left, um, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pesticide just in the air around you that can very easily drift into your cannabis plants. Um, and a lot of these pesticides, they may be EPA registered, but they didn't do any study on um, the pyrokinesis of these compounds. And that's, that's literally when you light it. Um, what are these going to break down into once it's on fire, once you're breathing that into your lungs? Um, is this something that's safe for you to eat, but who, who knows what happens when you catch it on fire and smoke it? Um, which mm. is why, you know, we, we really need to be really mindful of that. Um, like you were saying earlier, in New England, we have a lot of these really old houses. Um, a lot of them might have had uh, pesticide treatments that were used that we, you know, these days we look at it and we say that doesn't really look too safe. Um, I remember a buddy of mine was living in a, a really old house and we, we went up in the attic and we saw all sorts of unique and exciting pesticides there. Um, so there could be residuals left behind. Um, so if you don't really know the history of the person who lived there before you, you don't really know what was in that house. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, there's the, um, the products that you might use to treat your cannabis. Um, if they're derived from other agricultural products like a corn oil or various other plant oils, you're going to be introducing anything that was used on that crop, um, potentially down the line to your cannabis plants. Um, so while, hey, this might've been a safe pesticide for you to use in your mass corn production, um, once that gets turned into an oil and sprayed on some plant material that somebody's gonna smoke, um, who, who really knows what's gonna happen to you then? Oh, wow, okay. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot, I think, to, to think about, like um, our, our location and the pesticides and to just like acknowledge that like what's being sprayed in the air may be safe for consumption for us, but not safe to, to, to be consumed with through heat, right? Like that's a whole other um, style of consumption that, that's not tested for. And, and the lack of oversight that we still have in this industry. Like there's a whole sort of consumer safety that isn't being examined for us that is 100% liable upon us as the consumer um, because there's no federal you know, um, oversight. And so these pesticides are being used but not being used um, from the perspective that it may. And that's interesting too, right? That it's, it's okay to use for treatment in plants that are later going to be cooked, right? So that's really interesting to see. Like, I was like, wow, like you're just testing it for regular consumption, but if somebody actually cooked this and how do those chemicals react to heat and then you're in the body, they're not testing that either. So that's a huge like aha moment for me. Like, wow, this is the lack of oversight that's occurring from our government. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. Um, you know, with, with that in mind, if you're living near farmers, um, it never hurts to try to reach out to your neighbors and say, hey, could you could you tell me about your treatments a little bit? Um, just so you, you have that peace of mind and you know what's up. Yeah, and I guess also knowing like neighborhood history. Um, you know, if there's a park um, next door to you, how long has that park been there? Um, and what was there beforehand? Mm-hmm. That's you. That's huge to know, uh, and also to know the treatments, like you were saying, you know, pesticide treatments from the cities on how they've been treating any. Oh, and your neighbors, like even even their grass, right? Like even like pesticide treatment on their grass mm -hmm. um, and any water runoff. Um, where do you live in relation to them? Is the water going to be coming down towards you, and how is that going to impact? any any um, anything on your property and how it's growing because now you have uh, residue like running off of their property onto your property. So that's something else to consider. There's just so many ways that it, it does impact you. Absolutely. All right, um, now we'll talk a little bit about mycotoxins. Um, 
these are getting a little more traction lately, even in the food industry. Um, I was just talking to a coworker today about corn and how we see, you know, there can be tremendous amount of mycotoxins in corn. Um, and these are um, toxins that are produced by funguses. Um, those are your black molds that you might see growing in the walls of your house, potentially. Um, gray molds that are growing on fruits and vegetables, etc. And we know that chronic exposure to these compounds is really bad for humans. Um, a lot of them are mutagens or carcinogens. Um, so over time, if you're consistently exposed to mycotoxins, you run the risk of, um, you know, developing a cancer or any other uh, related illness to that. Um, and we know that different species of fungi are going to produce different types of mycotoxins and at different concentrations. Um, and then we know also that um, in the process of extraction or concentration, um, some flower material that might have had low or trace amount of mycotoxins um, could potentially be concentrating that into your into your extracts. Um, so while you know you're going from a plant that has 18% THC um, and you're converting that into an extract that has 80% THC, you need to also consider that that conversion rate might apply to mycotoxins um, if they're present within your cannabis there. So you you just lightly touched, it could be very hazardous to human health. Mm -hmm. How, how and why should we care as like, we here for the, we here for the weed, a little, is it a little bit of mold never hurt nobody? Like what's happening if we do happen? Because I remember when there was mold found in weed from the dispensary. So can you just go into like a little bit, like why this, why consumers should really care about clean, clean weed, clean, clean cannabis consumption for themselves, especially while home growing, whether from the dispensary or home growing, it should be the same standard. Yep, um, definitely. So we're, we're really worried about these mycotoxins just because of, um, you know, these are things that have been studied for a long time because they also are in the food industry. Um, and we just know these are going to, you know, potentially break down your DNA over time. Um, these are all compounds that fungus will produce if it's feeling threatened, um, if it's got natural predators coming for it, or, or, you know, otherwise it's getting that stress, it's getting attacked, it's going to put these toxins out, because that's kind of the fungus's defense mechanism. Um, and you know, pretty much through that, that it's, it's designed to, you know, push something away. Um, organic things like us, we shouldn't be eating it. Um, because it's literally evolved to, to be harmful to other living things. And there's when, when it's in, while, while your plant is growing, if it does become contaminated with mold, typically the plant exhibits certain characteristics of, mm -hmm. of different mold, um, right? That it's been now con of contaminant, mold contamination. So I think some of those symptoms are things you can look for right? Pre what, what you should be examining, like the health of your plant, like examining the leaves um, and mm -hmm. examining the health of the plant to, to ensure that it's, it's in a healthy state. Um, do you have any like examples of like um, a, a plant that's contaminated on mold? Typically, what are some common characteristics that you would see? Yeah, definitely. Um, depending on the type of mold, you could see a lot of really different characteristics. Um, a lot of the times, if you're seeing mold that's kind of in the root zone area, you'll mm -hmm. see a lot of wilts. Um, these are going to be fusarium wilts. Um, there's something called damping off. Um, this is something you might be really familiar with if you grow from seed. More or less, your your seedling's going to grow up a little bit. You're going to get really excited. You've got a great plant coming, but then um, a fungus in that root zone is going to attack it. It's going to break down the tissues in that stem, and it's just going to flop right over. Um, then you just kind of have a cup of mush. Um, but that's actually a result of um, fusarium, which is known to produce a lot of different mycotoxins, and it's known to be found pretty commonly in cannabis. Um, a lot of the more cannabis flower-based ones are going to be um, things with a lot of like white fluffy growth, like a penicillium. Um, probably the most common one is bud rot, uh, which is usually caused by a fungus called botrytis. Um, that's kind of a gray mold. Um, that one's really interesting. That's also a fungus we see a lot in um, like the wine production industry. And we know for a fact that there's a lot of risks to human health uh, to the point where a lot of people in these agricultural industries will have very specific illnesses named after their trade. Um, so we know if you're growing wine grapes a lot, you could develop something that's known as wine growers lung. 
Um, and that's from you just inhaling these botrytis spores every day, every day while you're doing this. Um, and you know, for if we're seeing this a lot in our cultivation areas, we got to consider that um, not only is it really dangerous for you to be smoking this all the time, if you're working in there every day, you go to work and you're just exposed to these spores, um, you're you're really at medical risk. And remember, folks, if the environment is not healthy towards the plant, it will not be healthy towards the worker. And that it's the environment that needs to change, not the plants, not the workers, the environment, which comes down to the business. Um, so that would question if, the, if we're structuring the buildup of this industry correctly, right? If it ends up producing something like a cannabis lung like if we're, if this is something, cause we know cannabis doesn't produce these things. So if workers are developing like a cannabis lung, like, you know, grape wine, grape lungs or whatever is the case, then um, I think that this industry needs to seriously examine its setup practices, right? And that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, the health of, cons of I would imagine growers to be like top notch um, because the plant should be in a loving environment. So this is not like coal work or, you know, working in the mines or something like that. There should, there should be an environment free of mold and fungi. So yeah, if we are, if that starts to develop out of our industry, then that's a huge red flag. Um, mm -hmm. Our cultivation set, our cultivation cultivators have it completely wrong. Um, and then they're, they're not approaching um, when you, this is what happened. This, that would be another example of, of consequences of putting profit before people or profit before plants, profit before the earth. That could be another great, you know, headline thing for that, but. Yeah, 100%. All right. All right, next we'll talk a little bit about our microorganism screens. Um, so these are kind of broken down into two different categories. These are either going to be tests where we're counting CFUs or colony forming units of an organism per gram of your cannabis material, or we're going to be doing a presence absence detection, which is, you know, is this organism in your material at all down to like one CFU? Um, so first we'll talk about the quantitative assays. We run in the state of Massachusetts, a total aerobic count, which is going to be any microorganism that can grow in the presence of oxygen. Uh, we run total yeast and mold, which is kind of the broad group of fungi. We run um, enterobacter, which are a lot of really commonly found gut bacteria. Um, these are organisms that can survive like a really high bile rich environment. And then lastly, coliform, um, which is a subgroup of those enterobacters that is also able to ferment lactose. Um, probably the most common one of that would be like your, your E. coli there. Um, <clears throat> So the first two ones we talked about, yeast and mold and aerobic count, those are known as quality indicators, and those kind of represent the general growth on your plant. Um, we know that it's really hard outdoors to, to pass uh, current Massachusetts state regulations, and that's just based off of the environment in New England. There's going to be a lot of spores present. Um, it's just something that occurs. We have a lot of funky weather. And for the most part, your total aerobics and your total yeast and molds don't necessarily represent organisms that could be harmful to you, but having them there in a huge high presence is more of an indication that there's something that could be wrong in your process. Um, this image over here to the right is kind of describing what's known as a biofilm, um, and that is sort of the, the kind of nasty mat or goo that a bacteria will produce. Um, you might see it inside your irrigation lines if you're growing with um, inline irrigation or on the surfaces of your bench tops, um, but more or less a species of bacteria or another microorganism is going to produce this biofilm that's going to build up and up and up, and then it'll get to a certain point where you don't really know what's in that biofilm. Um, <clears throat> so if initially it's kind of a relatively harmless bacteria, the fact that you have all that film there, there's a ton of carbon available for other stuff to eat, means that you really run the risk of something that's less than safe being present. Um, and the coliform and the enterobacter, these are kind of um, associated with like gut bacteria. Um, so if you see something like that, really high counts on your flower, you know that you have, um, as gross as it sounds, the potential for fecal contamination. Um, 
And that could be really dangerous because there's some things we don't screen for, like fecal-borne viruses that could be present there. Um, so if you're seeing a really high count there, you know something's gone horribly wrong in your grow. Um, aside from those quantitative tests, in Massachusetts, we also check for STEC, which is a Shiga toxin producing E. coli. Um, there's tons and tons of E. coli. There's E. coli inside all of us right now that's not harmful, but certain types of it are really harmful. And we want to know if that's you know present at all on your cannabis. Um, so we check for the STEC, and we also check for salmonella um, presence absence. And do, 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 does cannabis, I mean, do you guys just check for these things just to like safety standards or do, do you guys actually find cannabis actually testing and like randomly like can test positive and like salmonella or any of these other, other things that you're, you're mentioning? Yeah. You know, it's, it's extremely rare for us to see the salmonella or the dangerous E. coli, but any of these other things, we absolutely see it. Um, if you grow with manure, you might have that EB and CC count pretty high. Um, if there's something up in your environment, your yeast and mold and aerobic count could be up high uh, as well. Um, a lot of people in, introduce this into their grow intentionally. Uh, myself included, actually, if I'm growing outdoors, I like to inoculate the root zone if I can. Um, that's a lot easier to do indoors than out or outdoors than indoors because um, you can kind of run into some some dangerous feedback loops if you're adding too many inoculants. Um, there are a lot of growers that like to spray these products directly onto their cannabis flower. Um, I tend to uh, not not really suggest that practice just because we um, we don't really know what's going to happen there. Um, these products that you might get are registered for use on something like a tomato or a squash that you can bring inside. You can bring it over to your sink and you know really wash that aggressively. Um, a cannabis flower, you're not going to be able to do that. So mm -hmm. you could potentially be spraying a bunch of what you think is beneficial onto the plant. You could get a really sunny day where the UV rays are killing everything that's living on the surface of that. And then you just have a bunch of food available for whatever is dangerous that could uh, potentially land there and, and just kind of take root. And I just want to ask you, just because we're not all as well versed as you, but I noticed you use the word um, in, inoculate throughout this. And can you just tell us, like for any of our viewers that are unfamiliar with that word, um, what that word means? and. Yeah. In relation to this? Yep, definitely. Um, so when I say inoculate, what I mean there is you are purposely adding very specific microorganisms. Um, myself personally, I only add them to the root zone. Um, and there's a lot of really cool stuff that can go on down there. Um, you might know about mycorrhiza. Um, that's a type of fungus that grows in the root zone. It has a really beautiful symbiotic relationship with your plants. Your plants are going to produce carbon through their root zone all the time. Those leaves are sending sugar down. That sugar is coming out, and it's actually going to feed the mycorrhiza. Um, the mycorrhiza down there are going to help that plant convert and uptake nutrients. Um, could help it survive some drought stress or uh, other, other kind of stresses that could be introduced. Um, and then aside from that, there's a lot of really interesting study on certain strains of bacteria that could cause your plant to maybe produce more essential oils. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of study going on on that right now. So cer certain fungi and certain bacteria is actually good for your plant. Yep, definitely. Um, in moderation, um, I wouldn't suggest adding a ton of it. Um, a lot of the times these products also are in sugar-based things like molasses or powdered sugar. Um, and you can kind of run into complications if you're throwing that into your root zone every every week or every day even. Um, do yep. you, you throw sugar in in your um, in your plants in the in the soil? Only when I'm inoculating. Um, you know, I'm kind of a little more. Um, I'm a little harsh on my plants, as far as like you know, I, I trust these guys to be pretty tough. Um, they can, they can make their own sugars. They got the whole sun up there. Uh, <laughs> But no, I do, I do know a lot of people that like to feed carbs and the plants do, do really like it um, in moderation. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. So next we'll talk a little bit about residual solvents. Um, and these are things that are gonna make their way into your product if you are concentrating uh, or producing extracts either from your cannabis flower or from your trim. Um, we've seen so many different ways that extracts could be prepared. One really popular method is to use butane uh, to produce butane hash oil. Essentially, when you're doing that, you're packing a column really, really tight. 
you're going to run some butane through it at high pressure, and that butane is going to act as the solvent. It's going to dissolve the compounds you want um, and bring them into that matrix. And then after you have that kind of liquid form, you want to do what's known as purging, where you're pulling all those solvents out. Um, that you might see something like a nice slab of butane hash oil that looks a little bit like Swiss cheese. Um, and that's actually from the bubbles of those solvents kind of evaporating out. Um, we've seen this done with butane, uh, propane. I think people use hexane sometimes. Um, uh, you, it's kind of amazing, actually, how, uh, how many different approaches there are to producing these extracts at this point. Um, but, you know, we've seen things like turpentine, um, things that you definitely do not want to inhale. Um, and you really need to be sure that you're purging them correctly. Uh, so through our residual solvent screen or um, any residual solvent screen offered by any lab, you're, you're getting an idea of how effective your purge was. If you're seeing stuff that remains in there, you might need to change your approach up a little bit. You might need to purge it a little bit longer or look into using something like um, a rotovap, like you can see um, on the image to the left, that's gonna kind of spin the material around, make a lot of surface area for things to evaporate out of, or even potentially something like a vac oven, which is gonna put your extract in a really low pressure environment. And that's gonna allow those solvents to boil out and uh, make their way out of your solvent or out of your um, concentrates or extracts. Mm. Okay, learning something new every day. Definitely. Um, you know, if you're really nervous about residual solvents, there are um, CO2-based extracts. Uh, they use supercritical carbon dioxide. Um, what makes it supercritical is that it's at such a high pressure that it goes from a gas to a liquid. They use that liquid form to extract out, and then um, all that's left behind would be any CO2 that didn't get purged out, which we, we breathe in every day. We produce it, so that's a lot safer than breathing in um, like a pentane or a... Um, turpentine or something like that. And then all, there's also solventless extracts like rosins, which are just formed through high pressure and high heat. And those, those are my favorite personally. And for, for, for um, extracts, do, do, in the packaging, do people typically go into their, like what solvent they used? Um, you know, is that part, usually part of the packaging? Like what happens if you're like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, deal with any that uses this certain chemical as part of it because I have more of a reaction. And it, like, is this something that's passed on to the consumer as part of packaging? Or once it's it, it's there, you're just, it, you don't know, because that's not typically. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually not personally sure if it's like mandated for them to have it on the label, but a lot of people will have that on the label just because um, people trust butane hash oil. There's a lot of back and forth. Hey, the CO2 extracts don't have any terps in them. Um, so I want to look for BHO or I'm scared of breathing in butane. So I want to look for a CO2 extract. Um, yeah. So it's still a, still growing, evolving and, and finding its way and sharing information is currently what's happening. Yes, definitely. Shout out to all of you for all of your hard work and helping to create the data so that we as consumers are getting a healthier um, product as time goes by. Definitely. All right, so that's kind of a broad overview of what, what sort of testing you could get done out of the lab as a home grower, um, sort of why you might want to do it, and what it can kind of inform you on um, with regards to your environment. So next we'll talk a little bit about some really common tips just to keep your grow as safe as possible. <clears throat> uh, so the first thing to keep in mind is that cannabis is unique. Like we talked about before, products that are totally safe for you to use on your squash and your tomatoes are not going to necessarily be totally safe for you to use on your cannabis. Um, so you need to keep that in mind. You're not just eating this um, unless you want to. You're going to be catching it on fire, putting it at a really high temperature, concentrating it, um, cooking it into something. Uh, so some product that you might see that's fine for you to use on your tomatoes may not be fine for you to use on your cannabis. And especially something that's fine for you to use on like an ornamental flower, um, something like a chrysanthemum, that's definitely not something that you know to be safe to use on your cannabis. Um, along that line, if you're building a raised bed or something like that outside, you wanna be kind of mindful of the material you're using there. Um, you wanna avoid using pressure treated wood for your raised beds because they could introduce any number of heavy metals that are uh, found in that material through the process of making it pressure treated. 
And then you want to be careful that you're not building right up right next to like an old shed with alligatoring lead paint or something like that. This, yeah, this is important to, to keep in mind. Um, you guys can drop any comments um, in there, but yeah, I'm going to remember these things. Yes, definitely. Not yeah. Um, and then lastly, like we said earlier, you just kind of want to know your neighbors. Um, if they're farmers, you can ask them about their pesticide usage if they feel comfortable telling you about it. Um, because you got to assume that anything they're using close to you is going to make its way into your grow as well. Um, and if they keep a lot of livestock, uh, we're not we're not just concerned with what they're spraying onto their corn, um, et cetera. But if they have a lot of pigs, cows, or chickens, you need to consider that some of these dangerous microorganisms we talked about might be in the, uh, the groundwater that you're growing in. Um, a lot of these really pathogenic, dangerous E. coli's are kind of found and proliferating through through the guts of these livestock animals that are reared. Um, we know not everybody treats their livestock as well as some farmers do. Um, so if you have really sick or, or um, unhealthy animals near where you're growing, they could be introducing all sorts of dangerous things um, that then make their way into your grow as well. Mm, okay. That's important to note too. So now, so really know your, know your neighbors and their livestock. Yes. <laughs> yep, definitely. Know it all. Yes. All right. And that, uh, that pretty much ties it up. That was a, an overview of all the tests we offer and why you might want to look into them. Um, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out via email. Um, I love talking about this stuff. So um, any questions you got, feel free to reach out. Yeah. And so I just want to do like a, a speed like scenarios with you to see um, your response. So um, I just want to try this out. So if I live in a rural area and I have neighbors that have been growing corn, um, and this is typically like an area for, for growing, you know, corn crops. Um, and I want to grow on my property some, some plants for home growing. Uh, what testing would you recommend for that type of a scenario? Right. Um, for that type of scenario, I would be looking into a pesticide screen for sure. Um, they're almost definitely using something to kind of keep that insect level down on their plants. Um, aside from that, I'd be a little bit interested in what fertilizers they're using. Um, certain fertilizers are more likely to introduce heavy metals. Um, and honestly, even, even for some things we don't test for, it's really good to get information. Um, even organic farming, um, there are organic pesticides the use of them is going to kind of determine how dangerous that is for you. Um, so, you know, somebody might be using a pyrethrin. They might be thinking, oh, this is totally safe. I'm going to use 300 times uh, the amount on the label. And at that point, it, it becomes dangerous for you. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be looking mostly into the heavy metal screens and the pesticide screens there. Okay. I got another one, but somebody dropped in the question. How can we educate neighbors on using safer practices for their on their farm or lawns? I think that's a really great, um, great question. Um, I'll let you. Sure. Mike. Yeah, that's that's a really broad one. Um, it's really going to depend on how friendly your neighbor is, more or less. But um, I would probably consider um, explaining some of the health risks to them, um, as far as hey, you know this might not really be that safe for you to use. Um, like you were saying earlier, uh, you know, you, who knows what's going to happen when you toss this corn on your grill versus when you're eating it raw or steamed or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so more or less just building that good rapport, having these conversations. Um, it's hard if you directly approach them. Some people take that really personally. So you might want to focus on, you know, getting to know them a little bit before you, you bring up, hey, you really shouldn't do this on your lawn. Um, and then also providing safe alternatives to them. Like, hey, maybe maybe try using these compounds. Maybe try using this approach in your farming. Um, just to try to make it a little safer for everybody in the neighborhood. So maybe a good approach could be, hey, I smoke some weed. Do you guys smoke too? Would you like some? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good buy-in. Usually if people... Um, you know, have the same interests, you know, if we're, if we're all, if we're a consumer, if they're a consumer, I'm a consumer, then they, they'll care about the plants and be, and maybe that's a way to get them to care 
about um, their farming practices or their lawn care practices. Um, Cause they're going to be like, Hey, when that harvest comes, I'm going to want some. So mm-hmm. probably be invested in, in, in the crops as well. Um, yeah. Caring, caring community versus property. 100%. Yep. That's a way, way to think about it is, uh, yeah. And then, you know, sharing with the community, gifting. Um, that's a good, a great buy-in method for people, I would say. Um, okay. So a second scenario I want to ask um, is if you live in the city and you're, really, you know, a lot of people are all over you, right? So you're doing, say you're doing indoor grow. You don't even have, you're in the city, you don't have any access to outdoor grow um, for your, you're living in an apartment and your um, apartment is a three-story home that's been converted over into, you know, uh, three, con- like eight condos, you know? So it's like, uh, now it's been broken down. Each floor has been broken down into like separate apartments, right? Where it's used to be like a, a one family with three floors or, you know, two family or a three family or whatever. Now it's been broken down into condos and apartments and stuff, luxury condos at that, right? But all they really did is do some superficial updates, Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's basically it. And charging, you know, luxury condo prices for superficial, you know, and your luxury is having a washer and dryer, an updated washer <laughs> and dryer, you know. What what testing would you say? Um, and for if you're in one of in in one of these housing conditions where you're compacted, even indoors, like the air circulating, you're sharing with multiple people on your floor. Never mind, it's multiple floors. Um, and then the housing is like really old and only only superficially um, um, been updated. What 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 testing would you recommend for somebody living in those conditions? Sure. Yeah, I think somebody living in conditions like that, I'd be really interested in the microbio screens. Um, if you have a lot of black mold in your apartment, you go into the bathroom, you see some funky stuff up on the ceiling, you might want to look into mycotoxin detection, um, and then heavy metals for sure. Um, like you're saying, maybe they just painted over the old lead paint and it's still there. Um, it's still going to make its way in. Um, and then like you were saying also, when, when you're living with a bunch of people, you're in these tight spaces, you might have shared air. Um, you could talk to them also about um, what kind of practices they do in their own home. Um, a lot of people will smoke in their grow, which I was, you know, it's, it feels, it's fun. Everybody wants to do that, but it's um, not really great for your plant health. Um, you might be introducing new things that you weren't thinking about that could cause your plant to, um, you know, ripen early or, or take on some different effects. But um, yeah, just kind of kind of knowing what's going on around is is critical. Uh, but specifically, I'd be looking for mycotoxins. You said that so casually to, you know, growing, uh, smoking in your grow space. And I just know growers that would just like, like that's a no, that's like a negative. Like anybody that's doing that, it's like, you're really showcasing what a newbie grower you are. That's like a huge, uh, no, keep keeping a healthy environment for your, your plants, right? You didn't, you don't wanna show, like if you was having cows, you wouldn't be sh- showing them you eating a burger <laughs> at the same place that they're, they're going to be executed. Like, no, you're not gonna, no, you don't do that to the cow. <laughs> don't do that to the plants. Like, 100%. Yep. Yeah, you know, a lot of um, what we see, if, you, if you're burning stuff like that, you're smoking. Um, fucking kind of nerd out for a little bit. <laughs> we see a lot of shipment of things like oranges or tomatoes. Um, they ship them un- under-ripened. Um, so any of these tomatoes that you're getting at the supermarket, they were shipped to that supermarket green. Um, and what they do is then expose that to ethylene gas. And that's how you like really rapidly ripen something. Um, that's also part of the reason why a lot of these store grown things don't taste quite as good as something you're going to get local because that had a chance to ripen on the vine versus something that was picked way too early and then artificially ripened. Um, and that product ethylene is something that's commonly produced anytime you burn pretty much anything like uh, any plant material. So that's that's getting into your plant and it's turning on a bunch of different pathways and your plant's just like, whoa, what the heck's going on? Yeah, that sounds horrible. Okay, well, yeah, the don't want that for our food, don't want that for the plants. No, negative, none of the plants, none of them. Um, that was good, a good lesson. Um, I did have another question in the chat. Um, somebody asked, um, aren't can- cannabinoids 
categorized by CB1 and CB2? And then what's the difference between the two? Sure. Um, they absolutely are. I really wish I could give you some better information on this. Um, this is something the chemists understand a lot better than I do. Um, but like you're saying, yep, there are different receptors. Um, and people are going to have different concentrations of these receptors, which might kind of explain why um, one nug of cannabis might have some pretty different impacts on different people. Um, we also talk about tolerance a lot. Um, and that is kind of built on your your body breaking down these receptors from repeated use. Um, so, you know, you smoke every day. It's taking a lot more for you to get what you used to be able to get. Um, take a little tea break, let your body produce these receptors again, and then you'll, you'll see um, a different experience from what you were just feeling. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. I really enjoyed chatting with you today and all of the things we were able to learn about testing. And I hope everybody learned a little bit more. And please drop in the chat if you have any more questions. And then you saw Mike, you could contact him directly. You can contact us at MRCC. And just also a reminder, we have our 5K run uh, fundraiser going on to restore our communities. All funds raised go towards our restorative justice initiatives. And you can go to the URL bit.ly slash restore 5k run 2021 and register to join. Uh, really, really excited. And also just reach out to us. You can email us at hello at massrecouncil.com. Uh, always happy to hear from you guys and to talk with you and to see ways in which we can keep engaging. And yeah, we'll be doing an event every Tuesday at six o'clock. This is all in support for our 5k fundraiser. So please join us next Tuesday at six o'clock and super shout out to MCR Labs for coming on with us today and presenting us with this information. Um, and really, thank you so much. Like I was just like, you know, as home growers, um, really examining the different environments and the conditions and presenting this out to the public and for a public conversation to be occurring around testing and safety consumption, because if these have to be provided for, you know, our businesses and, you know, looking at their environment in which the plants are growing in. For so many consumers that are new to growing, um, the the concept of even having a safe environment was is like can be huge. And what does that entail? So I just want to thank you today for taking the time with us today and presenting all this information. You yeah. rock. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Okay. Awesome, you guys. So that's it for us. Make sure to go ahead. And if you haven't already rolled something, roll something up right now. I'm about to get to rolling mine and I got to water my babies for today. So um, love you guys and see you next Tuesday at six o'clock. Bye. Take it easy.